Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 273 of Yoga Land. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. How are you? Good. In the last episode, we talked about the 200-hour training that is coming up in the fall. It's your first online-only 200-hour training, and we talked through the dilemmas that you went through in creating this 200-hour training because it's very different teaching a foundational 200-hour than a 300-hour. Yes. And so you talked about... It's it's harder. Right. You talked about wrestling with, okay, how am I going to create community? How am I going to create support amongst the students? And how am I going to facilitate practice teaching? Because 200 hours are very transformative for people, and those are important elements. I think there's a difference between developing a foundation and honing skills. And for an advanced training, you're honing skills, you're refining your knowledge base, you're increasing your scope, but you already essentially have some clarity as to what your job actually is. In a way, there's, there's just as much information to learn, but there isn't as much of a, of a leap into the unknown. In a foundational training, it's a big leap into the unknown, both the training component of it, but then the teaching component of it. So if you listen to this episode, know that there was a previous episode where we cover more of the interactive elements of the training. And also, I'm just going to say this at the top of the episode because I can't stand when people bury the lead and then you have to listen to the whole episode to get to the URL. If you want to find out more on paper about this training and just all the details, including the syllabus, um, go to learn.jasonyoga.com slash 200. And it, it has all the information. And then if you want the syllabus and all the dates and even more granular information, you just enter your e- email address and it's right there for you. So today we're going to talk about what they're going to learn. And I will say, I, I think I have at this point acquired 300 hours of training from all the conferences and workshops and, and all some. the things I've done. But I only formally ever did a 200 hour and it remains one of the best experiences of my life. Totally. So I think that's another reason you feel such a weight as a teacher. And it's like, a responsibility. Yeah, yeah, a responsibility. yeah. And again, it's not that I don't with the 300. I do. Yeah. But I just know that with the 300 hour, like I said earlier, there's less unknown with a 200 hour when it's your new, when it's your first thing. Like there's so much that's unknown. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk through the actual content of the course. And I want to just pause here and say, obviously, this is hugely valuable and important for anyone interested in taking this course. But even if you're not, I think that if you are an avid student of yoga, just listening to this conversation and listening to how I think about structuring a longer format program, I think can help you as a yoga practitioner, even again, if you never are interested in the course, just textualize some of what you learn in drop-in classes and some of what you can't learn in drop-in classes, some of the broader context of the yoga tradition, and some of the methodical components of being an educator. We're going to talk about being an educator of a subject matter as we go through this particular subject matter. Yeah. And I will just add quickly, we're going to, we have the syllabus that you created and then 
I haven't actually created my part of the syllabus yet, so I'll talk through it here. Okay. I'm going to be teaching some foundations of meditation and foundations of running the content side of your business also. Yes. But let's start with let's start with you. Yeah. Duh. Always. How have we not? You. Can I start doing the intro to these things? Hi, I'm Jason Crandall. Welcome to episode. No, because pretty much we know that you would say the wrong episode number every I would, time. I would just stop saying episode numbers. <laughs> it's why, so when I do Teacher's Companion, right, yeah. I never say the episode number. Fancy you. No, Guess it's not what? fancy me. It's as a yoga teacher. Here's your, here's everyone's free teacher training program right here. Guess what? I'm, you're not the only person that thrives off of routine and I can't seem to get myself to change the intro. Okay, Mr. Fancy Pants. There's nothing fancy about it. It's knowing your, I know my weakness. So as a yoga teacher, here's the bit of free advice, which is when you forget what side to tell somebody to do, like when you forget second what side, side. you're in, all right, everyone, second side. <laughs> I'm just going to start saying, okay, everyone, first side, second side. Let's put it up to everyone's sole discretion. Medium-sized cobra. Okay. We start this course with really the the landscape mode or the bird's eye view where we take this very macro approach to understanding the primary principles that are part of the yoga practice. So we talk about the foundational principles of practicing asana. We talk about the foundational principles of teaching yoga. We talk about the foundational principles of the yoga tradition. And also, in my experience, the foundational principles of teaching with humility and integrity. When I create content, it takes me an incredibly long time. Because I always reflect and say, as the teacher, what do I care most about the learner learning? What are my values? So when I say these core principles of teaching yoga, of practicing yoga, of the yoga tradition, to me, these are the most important values that I want to pass along to my students. One of the many foundational principles of teaching is that you have to be good at deconstructing complexity without diluting the essence of something. So if you want to teach me a language, because in so many ways, yoga is, it's a language, right? There's, it's a postural language. It's a sensory language. It's, it's all sorts of things, but you have to, as a teacher, understand not just information, but you have to understand how people learn. And when you understand how people learn, you start to realize one of your primary jobs as a yoga teacher is to be a good curator. It's to break down complex things into simple, doable components that then can repeat and build over time. Again, just if you were teaching me a language, you would teach me vocabulary and you would teach me phrases and you would teach me tenses. You would teach me these things. You wouldn't overwhelm me with the amount of information at once. You teach me these individual components so that they can aggregate over time. Mm -hmm. Right. To say that in another way, this is similar to what we used to have to do when we were writing a story for the magazine or which is that you have to learn to synthesize a lot of information and then present it in a easy to understand digestible way totally yeah totally and in doing so 
you're not removing or degrading or decreasing the like the scope or the depth of the thing. You're just communicating complexity in a way that's simple, that people can understand. So as a yoga teacher, one of these primary principles, like I said, is is understanding how people learn. I think another component of this, everybody, is a foundational principle of teaching is being comfortable with repetition. This is something people are so uncomfortable with because we often don't know the value of it. And one of the last things you want to do is feel that you're boring or feel that you're not compelling. And so a lot of times what we do in order to escape the fear of being a boring teacher is we're always doing different things. And we think that by always doing different things, that's more engaging to the students. But the problem with that is, and that might be more engaging to the students for a couple of months, But the problem with this is we know that the most efficient way to learn is through repetition. And we also know that if you aren't continuing to learn and you aren't continuing to grow and you aren't continuing to make some sort of progress, you become demotivated. So if you aren't consistent enough, if you aren't comfortable repeating things enough, then your students actually aren't going to learn enough over time to grow and make progress. And that's actually what creates stagnation. And so helping people as new teachers learn the value of, I'm not saying every class should be the exact same, but some of these principles of the 80-20 principle, which is about 80% of the things you teach in one class is about the same as the next class. And about maybe 20% is different. And I go on with a lot of different of these principles. But the moral of the story is understanding how people learn and understanding the value of repetition and understanding the motivation of growth. Like these are all things. And that's what I'm saying to everyone early on in this episode is these are these are principles in some ways of good education. They're principles of learning. They're principles of growth. They aren't just how to do down dog better. You know what I mean? So that's really what we're starting with is we're starting with these macro principles about being a student and best practices and also being a teacher and best practices. Great. Okay. Next, you get into the posture breakdowns for the different families of poses. So talk about that a little bit. So this is one thing that I... I want to say this the right way. I want to say this in the most the most Midwestern way that I can say it, which is I think that I've made a pretty significant contribution to how people learn yoga postures over time. And it is this. It is in most situations, people think about all of the different yoga poses as being separate yoga poses. There's a certain truth to this, but there's also a pretty big error to this. What we really want to think about is posture families. And I'm not, again, I'm not the only person to say this, but when we think about it like this, everybody, what we can start to see is that if you take postures like warrior two, gate pose, side angle pose, half moon pose, and all the variations... What you can see in this is 
In all of those poses, the pelvis rotates the same direction. In all those poses, the front leg rotates the same direction. In all those poses, the feet are in the exact same orientation as each other. In all those poses, the torso rotates in the same direction. There are some small things that change from pose to pose, but for the most part, those poses are one family, which means if you understand the principles of that family for one pose, you understand the principles for all of the poses. And what's the advantage of this? The advantage of this is much more streamlined learning and connecting the dots. So instead of feeling like, because this happens to new teachers all the time, they think, oh, I need to memorize the cues for triangle pose. I need to memorize the cues for half moon pose. I need to memorize the cues for side angle pose. And the answer is you definitely don't need to do any of those things. All you really have to do is understand what are the common denominator techniques of that entire family and if you understand the common denominator techniques of that entire family, then you can cue that entire family. That what is another way of saying it is, or if we think about face down backbends, prone backbends, right? If we think about locust, cobra, bow, and the dozens of variations of these poses, they are different poses. They have slightly different dynamics for sure. They're not a dozen of the same thing, but... What is similar about that posture group is much more like the similarities between those poses are much greater than the differences between those poses. So instead of thinking, I need to memorize everything there is to memorize about locust and then cobra and then bow, my answer is not really. You just really need to understand the principles of how to do a backbend when you're face down and what you're engaging and what's moving where. And if you understand the seven or eight foundational techniques of cobra pose, then you will understand the seven to eight foundational principles of every other pose that is in that family. So my main point on this is there's much more efficient and streamlined learning than if we think that each one of these things are isolated separate nodes. If I think, oh, I need to do learn all the details of bridge and Urdhva Dhanurasana and Vipri Dandasana. Not really. What you want to see is you want to see what is the same, like how to cluster families of poses, how to understand the essence of that family. And if you understand the cluster and the essence of that family, you can teach the whole family. Okay. So it's not just streamlined learning, but it's also streamlined teaching. Yeah, it's And both. not as much like rote memorization of, yeah. okay, I go into this pose and I need to teach them from the bottom up, what happens to the feet, what happens to the legs, what happens to the totally. side body, what happens to the arms, what happens to the neck, what happens to the head. But it's, you can see the whole as a teacher and the, and then you can teach from the principles. Yeah. You teach from the family. principles, right? Yeah. And this is, so it's streamlined learning. It's streamlined and more efficient teaching, but also there's some spirit to me of yoga in this. There's some spirit of seeing the commonalities and the essences of these families of postures. The other two things really quick it helps is sequencing because you understand how to blend like with like. And then also you understand alternatives. How to complement. Yeah. So you understand, okay, let's say it's, let's say it's, face up back bends. So bridge, upward bow, inverted staff. If you understand those are part of a whole family, then you understand, okay, I'm focused on bridge pose today, but I can 
also tell, hey, everyone, if you want to do Urdva Dhanurasana or Vipurita Dandasana, go for it. Because they're in that same chain of command, if you will. Or if you're teaching a more advanced practice and you need to give simpler options and you're teaching everyone Vipurita Dandasana, you don't then just say, okay, if you can't do Vipurita Dandasana, do whatever. You take them to a more accessible pose within that family. So you understand the hierarchy within those families and that and that chain of command. And when you get these concepts, a, a lot of teaching just actually the content makes more sense. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So you yeah. break it down and then it's easier to put it back together again. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's a natural process when we go through this where, of course, when you're in a training, you learn yoga-based anatomy. And I think this, the people that have trained with me over the years, they know this, okay? Because I talk about this extensively. But anatomy was, for me, in my professional development, like the hardest subspecialty in yoga to learn. Philosophy came much more easily. Sequencing came much more easily. Verbal communication came much more easily. Like, all the technical methodological things of being a teacher, like the things you have to know to teach, anatomy was the hardest. And I think in some ways, that's why I've become good at teaching it. I have an extreme amount of empathy for people that get overwhelmed by anatomy or don't connect that well to anatomy or are excited about it, but also have trepidation about it. I get it. Yeah. And... I think this is another thing. I have a bunch of principles, right? When I when we took it, when we look at yoga anatomy. But one of the first principles that I operate with, and this is obvious, but maybe not, which is as a student of yoga, you actually know anatomy really well. You just don't have a cognitive or you don't have a mental framework for it. You don't have the language of it, but you have the sensory experience of it because you are actively using it and paying attention to it. So as a yoga practitioner, we know it's not just about your postural techniques and your physical body, but you are using postural techniques and you are using your physical body and you're getting good at using those things. But there's oftentimes a knowledge gap between your sensory experience of triangle pose and your intellectual technical knowledge of what your body parts are called and what the movements are called. And so... Helping people, like building people's confidence by starting with this understanding of, hey, all we need to do is start to learn some names. Like you already have the feelings, you already have the emotions, you already have these things. So now all you have to do is identify them. And by teaching this way, we don't, like we look at plenty of things, right? We look at models, we look at this and that, we look at another thing. But by starting with the sensory experience, of teaching yoga anatomy, I think it demystifies it. And it also helps people connect and want yeah, to learn and to be like, it. yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, I already know. I actually already know how to get from my house to my kid's school. I just never really paid attention to the names of the roads. Okay, I'm going to pay attention to the names of the roads, mm -hmm. some of the other routes. So I love teaching yoga anatomy. Like I just genuinely love it. And... I also think, like I say this in other contexts, all details matter, but all details do not matter equally. And there are certain details about anatomy 
that I'm just going to be honest with everyone listening. They just don't matter. They don't matter as a yoga teacher. Like there's a ton of trainings that will start with, this is the sagittal plane. This is the coronal plane. This is the transverse plane. doesn't matter. Literally not one of those things matters when it comes to understanding how the body works and how the body moves. So I feel like, because for anatomy, we only have 20 hours. Mm. Most trainings actually only have 10, which is, I don't even know how that's done, but we only have 20 hours and that isn't that much time to learn such a big subject. So I have spent so long distilling what I genuinely think are the technical anatomical details that really matter to improve your skills as a yoga teacher and to improve your skills as a teacher. Let me ask you a, te- as a technical question. Yeah. What, because I feel like you're really good at this, what kinds of visuals do you provide for the anatomy teaching? And what, do, you know, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So quickly, the only way to learn anatomy is through repetition over time. So we have to not just have visuals, we have to have different kinds of visuals in different locations. And we also have to have sensory experiences and teaching experiences. So visuals, we have me and a skeleton. We have me in illustrations. In the manual, we have illustrations. We also have practices in which we immediately feel that thing. So for example, let's say I'm talking about the five muscular compartments of the hip joint, okay? The first thing that we're going to do is you're going to see me looking at a skeleton and showing you, I'm not going to tell you what the names of these muscles are. Don't worry about the names of the muscles themselves yet. We'll get there. But let's just understand here is the thigh bone and here are where the five different muscular compartments are. Let's get that concept. Then let's look at one compartment at a time with illustrations. So we go look at those illustrations. And then after we've done that one compartment at a time, then we do a mini practice where we feel that one compartment contract and stretch. Then you have little mini teaching assignments that if you are teaching already, because sometimes people that do these trainings they already they're already teachers and they're going back and they're right. you know what i mean they're right. like go they're revising their fundamentals mm-hmm. so if you're already teaching classes hey this week in your classes i want you to teach these postures where you're focused on this compartment of the hip if you're not teaching classes yet then here is the manual Here are the things that when you are teaching classes, you are going to teach about that compartment of the hip. So we go from here are the five compartments of the hip. Here's one of those compartments. Let's look at it in deeper detail through visuals. Here's that same compartment. Let's feel it in our own bodies. And then here's how to reinforce your learning by including some poses and verbal cues in which you teach this thing about the that oh. compartment of the hip. Great. So it's, it has That's to be helpful. those layers. It has to be those layers, which is why for so many... And also, 
this is just the truth is it's really hard. You can learn you can hear all sorts of information, but until you feel that information and until you communicate that information, it's not going to stick as much. So when we're learning anatomy, we have to learn it cognitively. We have to see it, but we have to feel it. And then at some point we actually have to communicate it. And that's when it all, that's when it all sticks. Yeah. 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 I like that loop. That's helpful. There's one last thing I want to say about the reason, a reason I love anatomy which is we're all so petty and insecure from time to time about our bodies. We all are, man. We all are. And vain, petty, insecure. Like we all have our things, right? Like I still make jokes about having skinny calves and not even being a white person, but being a pink person, like being pre-white. <laughs> I'm like pre-white. You're like baby color. <laughs> Yeah, baby color. It just gets red in the sun. And you can't tell if I'm burning or whether or not I'm just like having a heart attack. We went to the beach the other day and you're like, I'm so red, I'm so red. I'm like, you're literally red every day. I don't know what to tell you. How can I tell you're always red? Right? But man, here's the thing. When you really learn anatomy, you can't but be blown away that you have this stuff. You can't but be blown away. Yes, I agree. You can't. I think that honestly, the very first time, so T- I was fortunate enough to have T.S. Little be the instructor for the anatomy portion of my 200 hour. And he, the way that he taught anatomy and the nature of learning yoga anatomy, it was the very first time I didn't hate my body. It's amazing. So I can't believe it, even that those words would come out of my mouth. I was almost 30 years old. Like this. But it was just like, oh, that's fascinating. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, I thought she was, this sounds so, so petty, but I, oh, that person I thought was so skinny and perfect and like her foot pronates. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no big deal. Is her foot? <laughs> no, but it was more like, oh, we're all just kind of stitched together in our own way. We just see this like, unfathomable evolutionary biology and and it becomes very real because we use it like when we start to see even just the muscular distribution of the abdominal core like we start to see the different directional fibers and striations and we start to see i could like no engineer could have possibly created a better design you could have the best engineers on the planet, the best structural engineers on a the planet. They could not give you, if you gave them a decade, they couldn't give you a better way to engineer the actual layers and striations of the abdominal core. You couldn't. It's 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 impossible. And we see like this. Not even Carlos Sainz could like. No, he's a race driver. I know, so, but does, isn't he part of like, no, no, he's the not, car? He's like telling them like, his how it drives. And... Hinge engineers are really smart. But he's you... really smart too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just had to. Anyway, okay, let's move on from anatomy because we've talked about it Sequencing. for a long time. Yes. There's no single thing that is more important to you as the student. There's no important thing, no single thing that is more important for you as the teacher than sequencing. Nothing. I guarantee it. The way that... in Just think about... Sequencing is the way information comes together. 
And just think about this for a moment, everyone. Imagine the greatest book that's ever been written or your favorite book, and then imagine reading those every page out of order. Ah. It's undoable. It's terrible. Yeah. Because it's never about just the word or the sentence, even though there's amazing sentences out there. But even a beautiful sentence is a sequence of words. And it also has to be in context. Yeah. A lot of what people like about their teacher is how they resonate with their personality and their attitude and their composure and their... There's, there are a lot of tangible and intangible and extremely subjective things that go into whether or not a yoga teacher works for you or not. But the skill of organizing information in organizing how a body moves through a process is pretty amazingly important. If we just think about sequencing as the order of events or the flow of information, how we receive events and how we receive information has a very significant effect on the outcome. Sequencing is class construction. It's class organization. It's class inspiration. So we really look at this in three ways, right? So in this 200-hour training, we look at, obviously, we look at a bunch of principles of sequencing. We break down some of the common sequencing patterns like peak pose sequencing and postural family sequencing. But we do something in this training that's actually really different than I do in my advanced trainings, which is I give you five sequences to learn and teach. And you get experience learning them and teaching them from the first day you register. The reason that I do this, everybody, is when you are newer to a thing, it's really helpful to have an example. If you were learning to make a certain recipe, you don't want to keep changing the recipe. You want to stick with that recipe long enough until you don't need that recipe. And so by providing these five sequences for people to practice and learn... It gives you something on day one to actually teach. And it also is the test case. By learning these specific sequences, you learn about the process of sequencing. Because I'm not just saying, Mem here, memorize these. I'm telling you, here's why this goes here. Here's why this goes here. Here's why I selected this. Here's why I did not select that. So you have something to teach, but you also have essentially this very prime example of how to eventually move on and transcend that sequence. So in the long run, I don't really want people to be teaching via a rote sequence or a memorized script. That's not the style that I present, but I think that's the best way to be a new teacher. I really do. Yep. I really do. Let's face it. One of the most overwhelming things about teaching is in the early days of just walking into the room and having a bunch of people staring at you, waiting to lead them, and then maintaining a pace, maintaining breath cues, maintaining holding the space for people. And you've talked about before, talking for 60 to 90 minutes at a time. So I think having that sequence template to work from that you give them is just so beneficial. There's that phrase, trust the process, right? Mm -hmm. This is trust the sequence. It's trust the sequence. It, when you are a new teacher, I think it can just 
really be too much. Mm-hmm. Navigate what you're describing, all the aspects of being a teacher, and also figure out what you're teaching when you're teaching it. Right. You have to know what you're going to teach. You have to know that plan. And then eventually you can transcend that plan. You can grow beyond the plan. So I want you, I give you the plan, but I also teach you what goes into the plan and ultimately how to create your own when you're ready. So yeah, let's talk about your philosophy section. Yeah, it's a little over 20 hours and it is the thing that in ways comes most, I really like it. I say most comfortably, but it's the part of yoga that I felt more comfortable with in my early development as a yoga student because I came from a philosophy background because I've always liked philosophy. And it was your major in college, right? It was my major in college. Mm-hmm. And not yoga uh, philosophy, but not yoga philosophy. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. A more more political philosophy. But the the nature of how we think and how things work, what values and belief systems are, what the ideological framework of a system is. I love that stuff. Yeah. I really do. And I, but I will say this, I don't actually like to talk about that stuff that much in a, like a drop-in yoga class or a yoga glow class because yes, yoga is so much more than movement. But when you're teaching a class with a lot of movement, you spend most of your time teaching movement. And so it's really difficult with the exception of a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end, like bookending class with philosophy. It's very difficult as a teacher to penetrate the subject more deeply. And it's really difficult as a student to get the context. Like I think most yoga students know, oh yeah, yoga is a philosophy too. But there's not that much of a structure to understanding beyond that. Maybe even for people that have read the Yoga Sutra attributed to Patanjali and know a little bit about Ahimsa or Satya or this or that, we still often don't know what we start with in this course with the yoga philosophy, which is a timeline of the yoga tradition. Like we don't actually really know that. Like we're practicing this amazing thing that is that evolved in India to which we have an enormous debt and and we don't know much more than that. Yep. And I'm not saying even that we should feel bad about that. I'm saying that when we learn a much more structured and comprehensive approach, just like when we learn a more structured and comprehensive approach to our anatomy, things come alive. So I love that you include a timeline. And, yeah. and let me tell you, I worked on many a timeline while at Yoga Journal and you got the timeline correct. So I did. I was, Mine was <laughs> I mean, of course you did, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, having a time. But part of that too actually is knowing as a yoga. So I, as a yoga teacher, I want to say this. I want to say this the right way. I think that I am an expert on plenty of things yoga. I actually can teach yoga philosophy and do it very well. I don't consider myself an expert in yoga philosophy. I actually don't. Not I think that I'm an expert in contemporary asana teachings and contemporary sequence. I don't. But I'm an incredibly good student and I know who the actual experts are. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so this is if you're you're a a graduate student candidate and whose research 
to really pay attention to in a subject matter. And I feel fortunate enough to have some real clarity on who the experts are in these traditions, both um, both Western academics and non-Western academics looking at the subject of India, looking at the subject of yoga and its evolution. So we look about the, at the timeline and then we go really deep. And this is another, this, I'll admit, this is something that we don't do in my advanced training, this next part, which is we look at the tradition of asana and we look at the tradition of hatha yoga or mm-hmm. the tradition of hatha yoga, hatha yoga. There's maybe six or seven hours of really looking at the evolution of the various techniques of hatha yoga as different than the techniques and the evolution of Patanjali-based yoga. So we start to really look at a comparative analysis of modalities within the broader rubric of the of yoga. Like yoga is not a thing. Yoga is not a philosophy. Yoga is not a tradition. There are many different things, philosophies, and traditions that fall underneath that banner. But so we go, we we get a clear sense of the comprehensive scope of what this tradition is, a timeline of that tradition, and then we go very deep into the the Hatha Yoga tradition, and then also the teachings of Patanjali. So the Yoga Sutra attributed to Patanjali. The other thing we do with this is we talk in with this with these teaching as a backbone about contemporary teacher student relationship and contemporary reflections on the role of ethics and the role of boundaries and nuances transference transfers as being a yoga teacher yeah this is this is a really key thing and so we we get to use the philosophical infrastructure of Patanjali as the backbone for understa- for working with teacher-student relationship and ethics. Great. Obviously, we look at manual adjustments. We look at verbal cues. We look at all of the things that, that are the techniques and the strategies of communicating information. So we break all those things down. The last two components I want to kind of lay out is we have a whole subsection on teaching beginners. And, okay, obvious, I shouldn't say obviously. We focus on teaching all levels. We talk about being inclusive. We talk about being accessible. We talk about how to teach yoga to everybody. And at the same time, it's helpful, I think, to have a little mini subspecialty. And the mini subspecialty for us is working with beginners. And I think when you're a new teacher, you just automatically have so much empathy for new students. Mm-hmm. It's a really good connection. Mm-hmm. We talk about the principles of teaching beginners. I provide a specific syllabus for teaching beginners. I provide specific techniques for teaching beginners. And then I provide four 60-minute sequences for teaching beginners so that you can really essentially, when you're done with this course, 
teach a four-part series to new students. And it's all laid out. We talk about how to market it, what it, what those classes include, and all of the foundational elements of working with new students. Awesome. I don't think I knew about that part. That's yeah. very useful. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing is, we just have a ton of practices too. Right. Asana practices, meditation practices, pranayama practices. Like the vast majority of what we've focused on, honestly, everybody, they're the things that are much more distinct from what you will receive in a public class or a glow class or whatever. But you will also do, I don't remember if it's exactly 50 or 60 hours. Like there's a ton of asana practice. And that asana practice really runs the whole gamut of foundational and more moderate and slightly more challenging work. So there's a little bit from everyone for everyone to study in a structured way. Should I talk a little bit about the meditation section? Okay. So I'm going to provide two sections for you all. And one is basically the fundamentals of meditation. And so what I would like for people to walk away with after having done this program are two things when it comes to meditation. The first is knowing the basics of the meditation that I've been exposed to. There's like Asana, there's so many different forms, but I mainly come from the insight meditation world, which is based on Theravadan Buddhism, and then also the teachings of Sally Kempton, I'll say. She she would say tantric meditation, but again, tantric is so huge as well. So I'm just going to say Sally Kempton. I will expose you to basic foundation of concentration meditation, so shamatha, of the four foundations of mindfulness, go a little bit into the divine abodes, the Brahma Viharas, which includes loving kindness and compassion meditations, and then more guided visualizations, which is more of the Sally Kempton aspect. I want to introduce specific techniques and then also explain the components of those techniques so that you can then take these practices and do them on your own. Having said that, I do think that meditation is always best done with regular guidance, especially in the beginning. I I would like for people to walk away from this course feeling, okay, I can sit on my cushion for 10 minutes and not feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. I need to turn on an app. It's totally fine to turn on an app, but I want people to understand the components. And then aside from that, I want to offer just a series of many different inroads to meditating on a regular basis. I think that there are a lot of misconceptions around meditation, one of which is that it has to be very austere. It always has to be done at the same time in the same place for a certain amount of time with a certain technique. And I just want to blow up that idea. I feel about meditation in the world right now, the way I feel about exercise, which is whatever form you're going to do is what you should do. So I want to expose you to a broad range of different types of everyday meditations that I do, as well as those core foundational types. And most of all, I would like to convey the the enjoyment of the process. So Sally Kempton always talks about, she even has a book called Meditation for the Love of It. And it really wasn't until I did meditation with her that my whole perception of 
meditation shifted and my whole experience of it shifted to being something that is so much more enjoyable than than serious and austere. That's the best way to put it. So I hope to hold that space for people and really convey that it can be just an incredibly enjoyable, important, vital relationship with oneself. And then I am also going to do a content section. And most of you who are listening know that I ran a course a few years ago called Content Blueprint for Yoga Teachers. And so I'm going to take many of the principles from that course and rejuvenate it for this setting. And things have changed even in the two years since I launched that program. Some of the core foundational things will remain the same, just what it means to create an online presence. What are the bare bones of what you need to start out as a yoga teacher with your online presence? And then what are the most important things to focus on to to grow your online presence? So we'll talk about creating an email list. We'll talk about being weekly blogs or vlogs. We'll talk about social media. We'll talk about your tech setup. So giving you all the tools you need to be able to just really teach in today's environment, in today's climate. Perfect. I need to take that again. (laughs) No, you are doing just fine with all of your YouTube videos. That's true. Yeah, you're doing great. I give you an A+. I'll take just an (laughs) A-ish. I'd even take a B. I'll take whatever. Yeah, okay. Take a sandwich. All right, everyone. You can get more details at learn.jasonyoga.com slash 200 hour. We so appreciate you listening. And please let us know what you think of the episode. Let us know if you have any other questions. You can always send us questions at support at jasonyoga.com. And we just, we appreciate you until next week. Enjoy your practice.